Hey, it's Isaac. We made it. We made it to the official end of season one of the podcast, This Undefined. It took me one year to make this season. I had to go through a lot of growing pains to get it done, and I'm just one creative person. <laughs> so this episode will be a little meta, so bear with me, uh, because I'll be giving commentary on the making of this season, and I'll elaborate a bit more on some of the conversations we had with our guests that are worth revisiting. As part of the bigger project this podcast falls under, which is the Kilos Project, more on that later, I find it helpful to share and describe the process of making a creative project. I personally think doing this serves as a reflective tool to look back at your own work and what it took you to accomplish that endeavor. So think of this series as commentary undefined. But like I said earlier, I had to go through some growing pains in pushing through my creative blocks to one, get out of my comfort zone and two, finish something I started on. I mentioned this will get a little bit meta because I'm letting you in on how I analyze my own words and actions. So this is a little vulnerable talking to you without a guest. The format I ended up choosing for this podcast was in the form of seasons. When I first started, it had no structure. I just wanted to get used to being on mic, having conversations, editing, the logistics basically. And originally it was going to be me and one of my best friends, but due to the time and scheduling of it, I had to reshape what the future of the podcast would look like if I really wanted to get it done and be serious about it. While at first the idea of the podcast was to break down the social context of how people define their beliefs about any topic, I decided to reflect on how I do my own work, as I'm sure a lot of people did during 2020, which is when I started to have this idea. That led me to see the patterns that always encouraged me to be creative in what I do. And from there, it wasn't hard to see how the podcast should be done. I wanted to create a cyclical system or format that was broken down to its bare minimum. Because in a world full of options and possibilities, I wanted to keep it simple with train, recover, create. And then let the guests explain the complexities of those topics, which is why naturally that also became my exit tagline. But along with that simplicity, I also wanted those words to take on a variety of meanings and interpretations, because what that does is it allows for crossover conversations and an acknowledgement from the subject of the work that has to be done to do each of those things. You know, training can be a mindset, but can also be physical. Recover can be an action, but it can also be rest. And create can be artistic or it can be relational. And from there, I still felt like I was missing something, like a starting point. So I wanted to ground every conversation on a personal level with what keeps us alive and wanting to make something of ourselves. And that became the other series I have on the podcast on health. And health is a very personal journey, you know, for many reasons. But it's also relatable because it's how we all have to manage our own relationship to ourselves. And whether we're conscious about it or not, how we take care of our health and how we choose to create something are more related to each other than we think. So then from there, the podcast started to have shape and direction. I wanted to start in reverse though. So tackling the big theme first, the health series dealing with healthcare professionals and science. Following that was the create series, speaking with creatives of all sorts, both practical and theoretical. After that was the recover series, analyzing restorative actions and self-care ideologies. And finally ending with the train series, which is you know reflecting with guests on how training is tied body and mind. And then from there, the cycle repeats itself. 
You may not get that off the bat hearing what the podcast is about, but I also want this to be a listening effort and allow the podcast to have layers. So I've recorded, edited, and listened to these episodes dozens of times. And trust me, I've grown to both be annoyed by my voice and also be confident about it. But I learned something different every time. I created it in such a way where you can drop in at any time to listen and not be lost, or you can hear them in order and have an interesting experience that way, which surprisingly has a flow that connects each guest without any of them knowing each other or the conversations we had, which is pretty interesting. Now, the podcast may change over time or it may not, but I also want to highlight the organic growth creative projects go through. <laughs> not every episode is perfect and I try to be as transparent about it. So. Um, if you've listened to the podcast this far, thank you. I really appreciate it. I don't know what is going to come out of this podcast, but um, I'm trying to go at it, not really expecting much from it, sort of be a highlight of what I was doing around this time in my life. And, you know, I, I'm excited to do these episodes and I'm excited to talk and reach out to people on the next season. I don't get paid for any of this, letting you know right now. Okay. <laughs> I wish I did, but I'm not doing it for the money. So don't be expecting a lot out of me either, okay? Like, I'm not going to bring these out. I'm going to have a schedule, but at the same time, I'm going to be like, if I can't meet that deadline because I have other things going on that I'm getting paid for, then I'm going to do that. But I'm doing this for fun, <laughs> okay? But I still want to share it, and I, and I will try to be as consistent because that's what I'm about. I'm trying to be consistent with things, but life happens, all right? So let's get into it. How do you define health? I asked this question or a version of this question to every guest I've had on the podcast. And the reason I asked this was because this question really defines how we decide to talk about our lifestyles. It's a loaded question that many of us don't have the time or even the patience to fully impact what health looks like in their lives. There are different priorities people have based on socioeconomic reasons, preferences, accessibility, education, and resources many don't understand how to trust. On the first series of the podcast, I wanted to start right off the bat on how professionals in the healthcare system answer that question. And something that comes up a lot throughout all of the podcasts, not just this series, is how much time is a factor in how we communicate and process information to make choices. Danielle, our medical student, and Dr. Valera, our endocrinologist, are two great examples of how people enter the medical field and how their time around family and the environment they grew up in shaped the efforts that helped them focus or survive. It always kind of comes back to lack of access, lack of resources, and, and like from personal experience, if you grow up not going to the doctor, you grow up like being sick is a luxury and people are like that's such a crazy thing to say but really like when you grow up poor or you grow up um you know you grow up with parents who work all the time and simply don't have the time to take you to the doctor because taking you means missing work which means missing pay and things like that and there's so many people in this country who live like that mm. you just grow up without that component and that breeds adults who don't know how to to get into the healthcare system they a, they live on the periphery of it. They don't know how to become doctors and nurses and PAs and pharmacists. And then they don't participate. They don't go to the doctor. They don't do preventative things. They 
reserve their sickness for when they are extremely sick Mm -hmm. and it cannot be ignored and it starts to, um, you know, infringe on their life and their livelihood being able to pay their bills. You know, you miss a couple days of work, you end up going to the ER for something. And unfortunately, that's where like chronic issues happen. Things that could be addressed way sooner don't get addressed simply because people don't, that's not their experience. And then on top of that, um, something I'm really passionate about, and this is where I fluctuate more to the social justice warrior (laughs) side, (laughs) is that um, medicine is, especially I should say like, um, doctors and things are quite a homogenous group. There's a very critical lack of diversity in it. And unfortunately, people who don't see themselves represented places are less likely to partake. They're less likely to trust that system because, you know, if you live a certain way and everyone you know looks like you do, it is the mentality you grow up in. And so you you step outside of that to go to the doctor. You're like, how is this rich white person ever going to know what I go through? Mm-hmm. You know, how is this person who, and from the outside is like, okay, this person has been very privileged. Mm-hmm. Um, how would they ever know what I'm going through? And unfortunately, I think it's ch- changing very slowly, but unfortunately it just gets confirmed when they go mm-hmm. and the doctor berates them for not taking care of themselves and gets on to them and is like, well, if you had come in a couple weeks earlier, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's not productive for anyone. Yeah. They already know that it's yeah. a priority, but people don't live those lives. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't have the, they don't have paid sick leave. They don't have all this stuff. And so that for me, like being on this side of it and being like, and coming at it with the experience that I have and the background that I have and meeting people in my class who have similar backgrounds. That's what gives me optimism for the future to be like, okay, you come with your story. And so I really think that's the honestly the responsibility of the people providing care mm-hmm. to bridge that gap. I don't really think it falls on the patient because um, that would require people to... <laughs> learn the science themselves and people aren't going to do that. I think it like, if you want a genuine, um, reaction from someone, you want someone to really hear what you're saying, you have to put it into perspective of the world they live in. Mm -hmm. And if they live in this world of whatever they believe, um, you know, you can debunk so much before people just tune you out. So what was your first medical experience that gave you the inspiration to go into what you do now? So my father's a physician. He was an orthopedic surgeon. I was always very uh, affected by what what he did. It was his life's work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could tell that, you know, as a child. And and, and he'd include us. He'd include me. Whoever was interested, I guess I was the one that was interested. (laughs) But I knew at a young age that I wanted... Medicine was something that I wanted to do because that was important. But as far as professionally, there was a certain uh, compassion for other people that drove me. Just didn't think there was anything more important than that. So being in a household that has health in mind, how did health look like as you grew up? Like with with a father as a doctor, what was the conversations about health? Or is it just a part of your life that you just 
real. It was just no, made it sense. was actually kind of like you know uh, our health care was like. Well, my dad could take care of it. You know, if we were sick, if we had an infection, why he'd send in the antibiotics. Or, you know, if we needed some kind of medical care, why we would go to one of his colleagues, if it was mm. a dermatologist or whatever it was. So it wasn't until, um, gosh, I think I was in medical school that I had health care for the first time because mm. that was required uh, in going to medical school. So, yes, from, from, from the perspective of a physician, we understood, certainly all of us, children understood that there was a commitment to taking care of patients and doing the best job that you could. Um, so how, how do you define health? How do I define health? I, I, I was thinking about that because you'd asked me that the mm-hmm. other day. And I thought that health, I think that's, that's multifactorial. I think that, I don't know, I think I, my, my, my impression of health and, and how to to attain it and how to sustain it hasn't really changed, but it has evolved. How is that? How so? Well, I think that there's a, you know, an appreciation of how complex, you know, medicine is and health is. And it's not just, okay, you take this antibiotic and you're good, Mm -hmm. or you take this medication and you're done, but it really is an active process of, of staying healthy. And it's not just one thing, it's many different things. Um, in, the, in the medical field, uh, if you have cancer, why you need the involvement of multiple specialties to, to get your, mm. your optimal care. You need, you need the oncologist, and if it's, a, if it's an endocrine tumor, why you need the endocrinologist and mm. the radiologist and the pathologist. And so there's an integrated approach to optimizing the evaluation and, and treatment because it's so complex. Mm-hmm. Not one person can know it all. Yeah. And so you have to understand the diversity and, and how to access it and, and how to communicate because mm-hmm. uh, you have to act as a team. Acting as a team is the key phrase there. In my conversations with every health guest I've had, each one understands the value of communication in their practice for providing care towards patients. Dr. Valera describes how communication requires skill in delivering. The simple question she uses is, how can I help you? And that's important to highlight. Grounding the conversation on how a provider can help is crucial for the patient to understand the multifactorial part of healthcare. Medicine is constantly changing, and our feelings about it can become misdirected and complicated if not handled with care. That being said, medical providers have been trained to be stretched to their limits, and sometimes patients, administrators, and the population at large overlook that process. For many in the healthcare field, this has led to burnout. And in a profession that deals with public health and disease, it's one area of study where that probably should not be happening. Health really does require a team. The sustainability and management of that is dependent on the rapport each provider has with others in their practice and workspace. Nurses are the bridge between the doctor and the patient. The balance they must maintain to deliver information, monitor the patient, and maintain their role can be more complicated than expected depending on the environment they are in. Society is now focusing more on making mental health a priority. Nurses are one group of people who could be one indicator of how well the medical field is navigating public health and burnout. As resident psychiatrist Kim Diatley explains, prioritizing mental health is not something society has historically practiced, especially in the healthcare field. Limiting working hours is something that's just been adopted only recently among different career paths, and as many studies now show, 
burnout can have huge repercussions on the brain and productivity. One thing is for sure, the current rise of mental health awareness means that it's up to each individual to be open to resources that can help them and others around them. Well, it's funny because whenever you think of like hospitals, the conversation mostly becomes about like nurse nurses and how like they're short staffed and all the things that you guys have to deal with. The, the most immediate person to the patient at, yeah. like throughout the day instead of like the mm -hmm. other people. Right. I mean, I guess the burnout part is what explains it. But still like. Uh, I mean, it's a burnout with everything. Right. Like, I mean, yeah. with any job, you know, yeah. but yeah. But you're dealing with people's lives there, though. Exactly. You <laughs> like, would think so, yeah, but it's just, it's it's just still yeah. like a job. Oh like, you know, God. you could deal with like bullying or like rudeness and stuff. Yeah. Like, they just, it's the same thing. It's just dealing with people's health as your career. Yeah. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Nurse burnout is real. I'm yeah. like, look into it. And, and But that's what I'm saying. At that point, that's when you as a nurse need to realize, am I happy? Mm -hmm. do, yeah. Do I need I to think. move on? Yeah, move on. Go yeah. find something that's going to make you yeah. not miserable, you know? Yeah. And that's where you have to ask yourself. Yeah. You know? so, yeah. And so from you guys' experience, what kept you still within that field and have that optimism to still maybe find your place? I mean, I, I love being a nurse regardless of yeah. all the crap that we go through. I mean, <laughs> to be on literally yeah. and, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I love being a nurse. I love educating patients and I love being there for the patient. I love sharing emotions with the patients. I love, I just, I just love nursing yeah. regardless. Part of me still wants to go back to teach, you know, and I think there, that's where I can, that's where I can shine in my, mm -hmm. you know, empathy. If I don't know anything in that, in that specific area and I learn it well enough to teach it, let me spread the knowledge, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So especially like in communities where they don't have these resources and like, if they don't know how to take their medications or check their insulin levels mm -hmm. or, or like, I mean, sugar, le sugar levels. Or blood pressure it's just like how are you how are you gonna better your health if you don't even know where to start mm -hmm, you know yeah. what i mean so it's just like okay yeah i mean i'm here to help you like what do you need help with you know mm -hmm. i mean there needs to be like an education yeah aspect. for sure yeah. yeah what keeps you um so usually i you know my patients they know i care i always get that a lot like man you really care you really care then mm -hmm. you know you're you're one of the first ones who treated me this way i really appreciate it that's crazy so, so i just you know that's what i like to you know yeah. to do um but just like she said i feel like it's really important to teach people because sometimes we get patients who come in like they've been like i mean it's not funny you know but it's like you know it's like they have they've been like peeing blood for like two weeks oh my you know God. And it's like they won't come in and you're like no the first you know that is bad like you know it's like what medications are you on because they could be on blood thinners or something or yeah. you know be taking it too much or not taking it how they're supposed to you know we can prevent that yeah the educational part the things that people don't know you know this is why i asked like how do you define health is because everyone kind of sees it differently, differently. Yeah. and based off like what education they have exactly like yeah. you need to know like okay this person's gonna understand this and this person's not gonna understand this so like break it down there's power in being able to know about your body and what it's supposed to be doing yeah you know yeah. and like when people don't know that and then you have the opportunity to educate them you're sending them off with some valuable information right yeah whether uh, they listen to you or not <laughs> yeah. that's up to them yeah and i mean there's a another thing that I learned in the hospital setting too. It's like, well, how do you know they learned it? Well, tell them to take you back to you. Oh, yeah. You know? 
So it's like, that's oh, okay. Good. Yeah. That's so. really good. Um, so how do you take care of your own mental health? That was like, hard. And I think it's hard because I'm in, I would, I would say that I probably like a lot of other people in residency, a lot of other doctors, I struggle with balancing my own mental health needs. So, well, one, I try to process things, uh, openly with people. And I think that's super important if you're in any field of, um, mental yes. health, it, it, it's important to talk about things that are, you're, you're struggling with, whether it is a, a patient, a difficult patient or a challenging patient interaction, or just personally, it's important to, to also just recognize maybe where you're at and what might be playing a role in that. It's super challenging as a provider to, to not get enmeshed or emotionally affected by in your patients or interactions, but you have to have some degree of separation. You have to have the ability to say at the beginning and at the end, this, I am limited to what I can do for this individual, but it's really hard because I think residency in general, that's kind of the whole, why they termed it residents. Cause, cause these doctors in training would basically live at the hospital, you know, during their training. So it it's almost, it's a culture that is improving, but it's not helpful or not yeah. encouraging intrinsically to prioritize like the residents mental health. That doesn't seem like it's uh healthy. <laughs> it's not, it's really not. And, and you sort of wonder why the rates of physician suicide are a smidge higher than that Ooh. of the general population. Yeah. I mean, burnout is really high and over time, the uh, graduate medical education, you know, they've set limitations on work hours, what is appropriate, um, amount of time. And you can't, you should not be exceeding like 80 hour work weeks. You consistently, you should at least have one day off a week. Um, so yeah. it's okay if you work six hours or sorry, six days a week for 12 hour days, as long as you have one day off a week, which honestly sounds horrible. Yeah. Um, and that, but that is, they didn't have those limitations before. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which is really yeah. concerning because if you think like most people do not work 12 hour days, six no. days a week. So what is that? 72 hours. Yeah, right. And that's yeah. still under what the GME considers, you know, the maximum. So that's still, if you're working that amount of time, you're still within the yeah. guidelines of, you know, doing okay, but that's, but that's not sustainable. I mean, really it's not, I think that, you know, some people are blessed maybe, or have better ability than others to prioritize their mental health. Um, but I don't think it's something that we're intrinsically trained to do, even though, you know, we sort of have to teach people to do it or educate people to do it. We don't always, we're probably the worst patients. Doctors are really bad patients because we tell people this and we don't take mm. our own advice. Mm -hmm. 
but we sort of, I think we sort of rationalize it to say, well, but I'm doing this for other people like this. Look at what I'm doing. But again, this is where it, it things like burnout and high suicide rates come into play is that we, we sort of go, go, go. And then until maybe things like depression um, or other stressors overwhelm. Yeah. And that's why it's important to just be open to those resources, just like you would expect your patients to be is super important. Closing this season's health series wouldn't be complete without discussing the current complexities of mental health among society, especially in regards to psychiatry, a highly misunderstood field of study. Rates of depression, anxiety, and many other psychiatric conditions are on the rise. But as we learn from our guest, the comparison mentality society struggles with could be the reason many believe their symptoms make them defective and in result manage them in silence. How we talk about mental health is crucial to managing expectations about what psychiatry is as opposed to psychology. The Yatley continues to say, mental health doesn't have to be about illness. It can also be about prevention. And it's true. We have to remember our bodies are constantly trying to protect and heal us from our environment. That also includes ourselves. We must keep in mind how our brain responds to both our thoughts and nervous system equally. Complex subjects such as brain and behavior can be difficult to understand. It's the unseen adversary we all have in our lives. But our resistance to ask for help only hinders our growth and facilitates poor coping practices that can have major life repercussions. I don't have an easy explanation for why there's a stigma against mental illness, but- um, It's a vulnerability thing, I think is a huge part of it, no? It's a vulnerability. And I think too, that comparison mentality of, well, I don't know why I'm feeling like this because it doesn't seem like anything, anyone else is experiencing this. Um, and, and so something is defective Uh, or wrong with me and, and it's hard. Yeah. It one, that's not correct at all. And it's it's a, it's a cognitive distortion that makes it seem like you're again, defective and something is wrong, pathologically wrong with you. Yeah or wrong with the way that you're thinking or doing or living your life. And that's not really, it's not as simplistic as that, thankfully. And I think part of the reason, well, there's a lot of reasons why the stigma is, is decreasing, but people are being a lot more open about uh, struggles, struggling with their own mental illness issues or psychiatric issues. And so people are recognizing that this is actually more common than they were led to believe the mentality of keeping things to yourself and just, you know, going like plowing yeah. right through, putting your head to the ground and just dealing with it on your own. It's not a viable option. We have increased risks of suicide, um, especially, you know, even now more among um, younger even adolescents, that, that rate is increasing significantly. I think we're starting to recognize that suffering alone is not the option mm-hmm. um it's, it's not inter- it's not a healthy option so it's interesting you say that because i feel like we've created this romanticized version of a person who they struggled quietly but they overcame a lot of things which is a great thing to have but i feel like that's the reason why people don't talk i'll just figure it out by myself if they don't yeah. if they don't do the same they're not tough they're weak so there's these yeah. like things that we attribute um, but I feel like you said now there is this conversation happening 
but that conversation now is being sort of polarized because or politicized and that kind of brings in more of that stigma I guess on being able to talk about your issues Mm -hmm. yeah and I mean mental health doesn't have to be all about illnesses and I think that you know, maybe that that's part of the stigma is that it, it does focus on psychiatric diagnoses and illnesses and that it doesn't have to be about that. It can, and just like anything, it can be about prevention. And I mean, everyone's going to experience a psychiatric, everyone experiences psychiatric symptoms. That is um, something, unfortunately we can't avoid, but some, and some people have more of a predilection towards a psychiatric condition than others. But at the end of the day, it's a very universal experience. And the more we talk about it, the more we recognize that we're not alone in it, that there's treatment for it, and that you're not a weirdo or defective because you happen to have a psychiatric condition. Yeah. I mean, that's really hard for people. And, 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 and their brain is, per, a lot of times their brain is protecting them from recognizing that because it is oh. so distressing to understand that they are the center of their chaotic life. Like they're what's causing it. Wow. They're yeah. And, that's interesting. And yeah. And so in a way, understanding that that is what is interfering with with them improving or getting better allows you to separate your emotional attachment and, and feelings of, you know, disappointment or frustration. I mean, granted, it's super frustrating interacting with individuals that are so hot and cold and seem to sabotage their own, you know, care, but under, but you have to kind of recognize, like, there are limitations to what you can do as, a provider and they have to be part they, I mean, they have to take those steps and be willing to accept what you're recommending. Yeah. They don't have to totally buy into it right at the moment, but it would be nice if they could follow through on whatever you're recommending, but that doesn't work all the way. And so you have to be okay with, with meeting people where they're at. And yeah. that's just the nature of medicine. Yeah. I wish they were in a different spot, but that's it's their life to live and it's not mine and so i have to actively remind myself that um the huge thing you said was your the brain is protecting itself for people not to realize certain things i'm like that's huge (laughs) i think because i mean that's kind of the cool and bad Mm -hmm. part about the human body is that it's all it's protecting itself but to a detriment for some detriment yeah Yeah. exactly i mean that's the frustrating thing at times because you're working against what that person has developed as a coping strategy and it can help when somebody's meeting you with resistance to think about well why is that yeah you know why why is there some resistance and it's not your your problem to solve necessarily but it allows you to come at it with a different perspective, to have a little bit more empathy and compassion for that individual and patience to, to be like, okay, well, I can't expect them to be where I would like them to be. You know, if they're willing to meet me every day or make their appointments and give some effort, then that's good. And maybe I need to temper my expectations for this individual. 
In conversations with every guest on the series, the majority of people who enter any healthcare profession want to take better care of patients. These are just some examples of people clearly defining their meaning towards the work that they do. They want to help you make decisions, not make them for you. Now, unfortunately, when learning about anything related to health and medicine, people are quick to notice inconsistencies in research, if they even care to do so. Audiences share and debate over universally established truths overlooking the specificity and nuanced details of what led to a certain outcome. But if you have any knowledge of how the scientific method works, you understand why this is and can bypass that misdirection without being fueled with anger. That's without mentioning there are certain funding efforts towards a topic of interest many industries do want to curate, but that is beside the point. As medical student Daniel mentioned earlier in the podcast, it would require the patient to learn the science themselves, and that's something both health organizations and society have to navigate together. This phenomenon is also not exclusive to the healthcare field, as we've noticed just over the last decade. No matter how optimistic we are about any cause, bias also exists in this area of expertise depending on the healthcare provider or advocate. We live in a time where information is endless. So when researching and making decisions on our own individual health, we must also take into consideration that source context, opinion, and intent on health-related subjects. Emphasis on intent. We mustn't allow our personal fears and experience get in the way of basic, practical health guidance. After all, it's gotten us this far, both the good and the bad. We have to own up to that, but not be held back by it. And most importantly, we can't allow the tone and rhetoric we use to explain things get in the way of caring for people. There are individual health choices and there are social health choices, which in turn affects our global health choices. To claim why people choose to see one over the other is short-sighted. Again, as we've seen many times throughout history. What do you want to define? And then how do you want to discuss it and move forward? With that in mind, we also have to acknowledge our own shortcomings in trying to get things right. We all come from different perspectives and experiences, but our ability to problem solve is not resolved in isolation or by redirection. When discussing personal subjects such as health, it affects ourselves, our loved ones, neighbors, and humanity, and I would go on to say in that order. Something to consider after making any health choice is knowing how you will adapt to what you didn't know would happen, medically, socially, personally. Life moves on. And we will continue to make these kinds of decisions daily, so it's best to always keep in mind how to prepare for developing information. From food, exercise, medication, relationships, health has many forms that first start from how you take care of your own body and mind. Then, adapting to how others make those decisions for themselves in relation to you. Be a problem solver, not a detractor. A big part of the Kilos Project initiative is highlighting the social aspects of how we navigate through information on an individual level and how we organize that into society for us to interact and live together. Without getting too deep, basically, we complicate a lot of things way too much to try to understand each other. Yeah, health and the human body can be fascinating to explore, if it interests you. But there's also the lived experience for which we should be reminded of when talking about what is best for our health. When all is said and done, We are all striving for the same thing, to have meaning during our time here, or in other words, just survive. Now, that's just my observation and an ongoing one. I will add, that statement and many similar to that aren't new insights for us either. However, for some reason, it doesn't seem like it's talked about in a way that really sinks in for people. 
and I hope I can help with that on this project. This also speaks as to why I found it important to make art and design a part of this project's DNA. To me, art is the conduit we use to forge meaning out of our fears and uncertainties in life. And in regards to this specific series, I mentioned how health parallels our journey for purpose and creation. How much more artistic can you get than designing the life you want? Analyzing how we define our reasoning for things and processing that into some kind of action or result is ongoing. But anyway, that's for another time and series to discuss. I've noticed we are cycling again through a time when people are afraid of changes that could affect all the work, rights, and beliefs we have fought so vehemently to maintain and represent. Truth is, we have always done this, and we have won and lost. Most importantly, we've survived. Perhaps not in the perfect way we wanted to, but nonetheless, we made it as a whole. And that's the point. Maybe in our immediate circle and current outlook on existence, it can seem grim. But in our grander reach for meaning, we've jumped further than we could have ever imagined. And that's worth so much more to remember. <laughs> Welcome to the life of an artist. The struggle to want to make something perfect in meaning, but reminding yourself you have to push through into finishing it and finding meaning in that instead. Which will lead us into the next series commentary and pillar of the Kilos project on Create. Again, these are just my observations about this subject in conversation with guests. I would love to hear what you think about the series or any highlights you've gathered from the podcast. Thank you to all my guests for joining me on this season's health series. The order of clips you heard on this episode are in the order of how they were released. Medical student with Daniel Sater, endocrinologist with Dr. Rafael Valera, nurses with Kimberly Torres and Ramon Soto, and psychiatrist with resident Kim Diatley. For more in-depth conversations, check out each of their perspective podcast episodes on this Undefined. Till next time, this is where I leave you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of This Undefined. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Share the voice. And if you want more content to explore, as well as follow other projects we're working on, go to the website at www.thekilosproject.com and follow us on Instagram at The Kilos Project. Till next time, train, recover, create.